Let me tell you how it will be We'll all catch up on the books you see Cause it's the X-Men Yeah, it's the X-Men It is the X-Men and this is episode 277 of the Weird Science Marvel Comics podcast Where I'm going to be going through three books, three X-Men books Saving Sword as the last book that we need to catch up on Saving that for my man, Ruben. Ruben's going to be joining me later this week, and me and him will tackle that. He ended up being able to record with me a bunch of times, but I haven't been able to because I feel like poopy. Poopy, I do. But let me tell you all about us before we go into this episode, or at least where you can find us. Go to Twitter at WSMarvelComics. You follow us. We'll follow you back. You can go to our website, WeirdScienceMarvelComics.com, to check out news, previews, and reviews each week. And then you can go over to our Patreon account, Patreon.com slash WeirdScience, to, you know, give us a little support for the stuff that we do here on the free feed and also get a, a ton in return, a bunch of podcasts, many, many, many of them being Marvel podcast. So I think that if you are listening to this podcast, you probably like podcasts, you probably like Marvel comics, you might find something over there that you might like. But like I said, we're going to go through three books tonight, Excalibur, Marauders and Cable. And we're going to get to that right now. And we'll start with Excalibur number 18, written by Tini Howard, art by Marcus Toe, colors by Eric Garcianega, letters by VCs Ariana Mayer. Betsy's back, or Betsy's back, or Betsy's back. That's kind of how it says. It says Betsy's back and then parentheses the question mark. So I'm using all of the different ways it can be, maybe. When Captain Britt went missing, Excalibur leapt to action to find her. Now she's returned. That was easy, right? She kind of just showed up in the, in the surf there at the lighthouse. And yeah, kind of like Bo Derek in 10, just shows up and whatnot. But the big problem going on and and having betsy gone but having her back is causing some problems having her gone is not allowing the quiet council to go talk to saturnine because she says and she's doing this she seems depressed she's in the room where the shattered love spell had gone wrong uh and she's just pissed so when the krakowans say hey we want to meet with you to talk about this bad resurrection thing maybe we need to close the gates you know we need to talk to you she says, that would be fine, but you don't have a Captain Britain, so I don't recognize you. I do not recognize your reality. You don't have a Captain Britain, so you're nonsense, and, and be off with you. Now, she might be, and probably is, setting things up to maybe try to tighten the screws on Brian to say, hey, I'm Captain Britain again. That's all she has wanted. That's all she ever wanted, whatnot, or whatever. But without a Captain Britain, they can't go to the other world and talk to Saturnine. Now, it doesn't mean they can't go to other world because we even see Gambit by the end of this using the portal, at least the Krakoan portal to go to Avalon, but it's that Saturnine will not talk to them. Now, Betsy is back. We saw it last issue, but something is wrong. She's not talking to anybody. She seems depressed. She's keeping people out for the most part from reading her mind, though they are trying, and they do end up. You have Rachel there, and she says, I I can read her mind, but she deserves some privacy. 
and she can kind of push me off and she's kind of being you know kind of a jerk about it anyway so let's leave her alone she'll probably figure things out she's probably just upset now they're going through all this and you're never once having somebody go up to her and saying hey uh you died in other world we saw this you end up getting shattered are you okay what's wrong where did you go what happened they're kind of just hanging around and letting her mope around and it felt a bit artificial to me and a lot of the things that you end up having in this they they happen off panel like what happens then are people are going to start showing up and saying oh my god betsy's here you didn't tell me first is emma who shows up now right before that just so that you can have this connection and things going on you do have rachel say i'm gonna leave but before that take off your glove rogue and and let me give you some of my power some of my power to read minds maybe it'll help out maybe you can get in touch with betsy whatever and she does this but then emma shows up and emma's like what's the heck's going on i why didn't you tell us that betsy came back and they're like well you know we're not really sure what's going on here and you got to give her some time. Emma says, listen, you know, we're all living on Krakoa. We have this paradise. We have all together. But, you know, we kind of have to do some things. Everybody has their job. Betsy's job is to be Captain Britain. And we need her to be that because we want to go talk to Saturnine about what's going on with Otherworld and Krakoa and things like that. And so get this straightened out in about two days and come back. And Betsy's going to report to the Quiet Council because that's her job. And then leaves and you end up having the rest of Excalibur they're they're worried about Betsy the thing is is that they're worried at a distance and all this of her just showing up and then going into this issue there does seem to be a bit of a disconnect with me that they're like okay we'll, we'll stay back here and look over that cliff and see if she's okay and and let's have dinner and we'll ask her to have dinner but we're not going to really cry in anything and I wish somebody would just sit down with her and say, what up? What up, baby? Because it does seem like she's a clone. And as we get into this and we get to Janie and Avalon, it really seems to push more and more towards that. But they even say at one point where I think it's Rachel says, well, she might be a clone, but she seems depressed too. Who knows? Kind of a weird foreshadowing as as they end up going. And they're, they're eating dinner. And then all of a sudden, the gem of the series comes running through a gate it is maggie little maggie and sees aunt betsy and says aunt betsy and she's like oh damn it and runs off again seemingly because she does not want to be exposed as to not really being the real betsy and that's what this keeps going with and you end up having brian show up then you know maggie's yell father father come here he comes through the gate and they end up like okay okay and she goes back to get him And that's important because he can't use the gates himself. That kind of was pointed out later. But they end up coming through. And Brian's like, "Uh, why didn't you tell me that my sister was back? And you have Jubilee say, well, we're not really sure it's her. That's why. We wanted to make sure. We're, We're really not positive it's her. Now, the funny thing about this is Brian ends up saying that later to Rogue as if he has really thought this out. And this is the most profound statement he's ever had. But he's been told that right here because he ends up saying, especially to Rogue, uh, I'm her brother and we're very close. And if something's wrong with her, I will know right away. Kind of seemingly why she ran off saying, damn it. Also, why she doesn't agree to talk to him. 
She doesn't want to talk to him at all. Now we get that, like I said, off panel where I'm really sorry. Rope says, I'm really sorry that she didn't want to talk to you. And he's like, huh, you know what, Rogue? I think that you might not think that's really Betsy. Oh, my God. Rogue is so impressed. I thought I was crazy thinking that. Now, I just came up with it. Jubilee didn't tell me when I came through that portal. I just came up with it myself. And then they start talking about, you know, what could have happened, the consequences of that and what they need to do, all of that going on. But they end up, I'm going to think about this rogue. You know, we could speak in the morning about it. Let's let me rest a minute. You know, Megan and Maggie ended up going back. I'm going to stay here. We'll figure this out. We'll figure it out. Maybe, you know, we'll, Betsy will open up and we'll, we'll see what's going on. And so Rogue leaves, you know, Brian there. He's going to go to sleep on the chair. And all of a sudden you end up seeing Betsy using mind control to get Brian to get up, go through the portal with her. At least she's helping him go through and ends up in Avalon, kind of goes by, by some guards that talk to him and goes off to sleep in his chambers. Well, in the meantime, you end up having her also connect to Rogue saying tag you're it and then running through the portal to go off to Krakow it seems and so they end up waking up the next morning trying to find Brian where's Brian I don't know uh, maybe he went back to the Megan I'm like no 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 he couldn't he can't go through a portal by himself now again that could be that they came for him but still they're like no well maybe somebody helped them use the gates we're gonna figure it out maybe they went off to Avalon you have a lot of things going on here but then Gambit goes off to Avalon, talks to Jamie. Hey, is Brian here? Oh, yeah, yeah, he's in his chambers. He's lazy, you know, whatever, but what's going on? And the whole thing about Betsy. Now, he's saying Betsy's missing, right? Oh, she's, that, that doesn't make sense. And don't start thinking I made all these clones because I didn't. I stopped doing that, but I did make one, and you want to go see it. Like, okay, well, let's go see that clone. And they go off. Now, when they go down to Apocalypse's freaking you know lair that we saw before even at the very beginning of excalibur where morgan lefay was the big bad and you ended up having apocalypse you know doing experiments she's still there she's still on a slab she's still you know it held down and all that you end up having gambit see then say you know we, we might have to do something about this and that kind of gets talked about for a second push aside because you end up having Jamie want to show, hey, you want to see this clone? You want to say, hey, look up, it's gone. It's not there. And you're like, oh, God, that must be the whole deal there. Now, while that's going off, the more interesting thing in this to me, and it's not just, you know, Betsy, is it Betsy, whatnot? You end up having a cool cliffhanger coming up. There's a lot of this just going around in circles without us really getting much information. We're going off to people that... Betsy's back? Oh, Betsy's back. Why didn't you tell me Betsy's back? She doesn't seem right. No, she doesn't. But what I did like was when Rogue goes off to Krakow to find Betsy, Richter goes with her and says, we got to take a little, you know, detour and goes off to Apocalypse's study on Krakow. And he starts talking about the idea of covens, the idea of the five being more powerful together, about the whole deal going on that apocalypse was looking into and also the idea of magic with the mutants and i thought it was real interesting and i am actually getting more and more interested in richter 
especially now that Apocalypse is gone, but he's trying to continue on. And we see even here that Apocalypse left everything to Richter. And and, uh, in a real nice little letter, Will, that he left that Cypher ended up deciphering. And Apocalypse knowing that was going to be the case, all that, but a, a kind of a cool deal that Apocalypse left all his research and everything to Richter, who's looking into this idea of magic and strength in numbers and the concept that I think Teeny Howard is trying to do. I really like the idea that in the past, the mutants have all been separated. They've all been separated because of the nonsense that the humans were throwing at them. They've been against each other. They're against the humans. But this whole deal of Krakoa is the start of this brand new age, an age of magic and an age of, you know, numbers, even that they can get together and be more and more powerful. I thought it was really cool. And I like the way that him and Rogue are doing this. Now, this was supposed to be just a little detour with them trying to find Betsy. And while they're doing this out of nowhere, Betsy just comes flying out and starts attacking Richter and Rogue. And they're fighting it out. And then right before it looks like Betsy is going to kill Rogue, run her through. You end up having her get hit down in a Psylocke who shows up and says, this is not Betsy Braddock. And you are going to need a real psychic to watch your back here before you get yourselves killed. And then you end up having Rogue's like Psylocke. And then we're like, all right, let's see what's going on. It's a really cool ending. I did like the ending, but I really like the stuff with Rogue. And and Richter, especially Richter there where they're talking about all the stuff that Apocalypse was trying to figure out. And the idea of Apocalypse, you know, this isn't the end game. This is just the start, things like that. So overall, I'm going to give it a 7.8. And the art's really good. It's just that at the beginning, it just it kind of spins its wheels for a while because this big thing with is it Betsy, is it Betsy? I guess you didn't have enough of that story wise to last the whole issue. But by the end, really cool. Really cool way to end that. So 7.8, and I'm going to move on to the next book. And the next book is Marauders number 18, written by Jerry Dugan, with art by Stefano Caselli and Matteo Loli, colors by Edgar Delgado and letters, and production by VC's Corey Petit. Hell of a production. Strategic Holdings, the organization known as Hominus Verendi, comprised of anti-mutant children with the financial backing of billionaire Chen Zhao, has been buying up land in Marjorie Poo's Low Town. If you look at the issue, it says Marjorie Poo planning to evict its residents, take over their homes and build high rises in their place. The marauders won't stand for that. And you get an issue that's political, it's financial, you get real estate deals involved, and it seems as if Emma is positioning herself maybe while you know, the hominis verendi are playing checkers, she's playing chess, maybe she's in over her head. We're gonna have to see. What is going on as they just buy up all of Lowtown to kind of stick it to Hominus Verendi and also to make them pay more, buy more, all these things going on. Now, with it, it feels a lot like at some points the idea of the Stromwinds trying to buy up Hell's Kitchen in Daredevil. And if you're not reading Daredevil, How dare you? Greta's throwing shade at you because you should be reading daredevil right how dare you yes greta you're right and so you end up starting out where again hominis verendi are pissed the the mutants are buying up all of low town they're all fired up but they have some other plans in place but 
what's happening. Emma and all the marauders are there to, you know, dedicate a hospital. It's funny, Sebastian's there in the wheelchair. You know, he's not saying much, but you end up having a free hospital for all the people of Lowtown given to them by the mutants. You end up, they invited Eric and Xavier. They show up and Eric shows up. Is that, is that Proteus there? What's he doing? And then Charles is like, what? Uh, oh, yeah, that's weird. I recognize that body. And they end up unveiling the hospital and a statue because it's the Moira McTaggart Memorial. Proteus is shedding a tear for his mom. And this kind of sets up a cool little deal. of Who knows what what's going to go on here? You end up having... Eric and Xavier clapping and Emma reveling in the idea to look at their faces as this is going on. Now, like I said, Hominus Verendi are watching this on TV. They are pissed. They're freaking out. Oh, those mutants. I was going to build a skyscraper there. Kate is the one who's just always furious. Oh, man, I was going to build stuff there. Like, just settle down. We have a plan for all of this. Now, we go to the hospital in a, a neat little scene, I thought, because you end up having Callisto take Mask to go to this hospital. And Mask is going to use his appearance-altering abilities to actually help people there as a plastic surgeon, but uses abilities for, like, a kid with a cleft palate, things like that. And he even ends up, when he's done, like, looking at his hands, like, oh, my God, these hands are for helping? I don't believe it. And it's a pretty cool scene. You have this family just hugging Mask, like, oh, my God, thank you. You you saved, you know, our kid's life. And Mask is just like, what the heck is going on? People don't hug me. Look at me. And the funny thing, too, is that Callisto's there. I don't know. Did Mask alter her? Because she's got her scars back, and she went through the crucible and should have come back, you know, unscarred. But, hey, that's that. Maybe she liked them. Maybe she wanted to go with them, but we end up continuing with Bobby, Iceman, Pyro, and Bishop, three of them going to a saloon. They go in like, oh, my God, this place reeks, smells like vomit. Uh, You know, it's a real piece of crap deal. The owner says, hey, uh, guys, I I don't really mind, you know, people like you, your sparkly fingers and your power stuff, mutants, but the people in charge – you know, ominous Verendi, they, they don't like that. And, and you'll leave here and you'll go, but they, they'll come after me. They're not nice to people who are nice to mutants. Well, you end up having the three go over. Bobby's like, well, yeah, uh, you're kind of a former bar owner, right? And he's like, what are, what are you talking about? Like, because I'm going to buy everything here. We're going to buy this bar. The hotel above, the hotel aside, like you all know that we're going to give you this big wad of money. And you could just go and we'll take care of this. Now, in my mind, this guy is sitting there talking to all the usual customers there in the bar two minutes before they came in. And he's like, you know what, guys? I'd never sell this place. This is my dream job. You know, serving up, you know, booze to you guys. We talk a little. You guys are my best friends. Bobby shows up. We got this money. He's like, see, you know, sayonara, suckers. I'm out. He ends up grabbing it. He couldn't run out of there quick enough with this money. He's gone. Well, we see Hominus Rendai jump in with their plan, at least the first part. The first part is they have gotten a bunch of people, a bunch of guys mainly, who have been injured but not killed by mutants. You end up having them because that's the thing. There is the rule. We don't kill humans, but we've seen 
the idea that they don't have a rule against maiming them and, you know, doing some real awful things. And I think that this is a pretty cool little play to kind of let that out there. Jerry Dugan is seemingly saying, okay, we have this rule where they can't kill, but we're just going around. And, And one of them we saw in this book where he ended up having Bobby going off and was pissed like Bishop was as well when they went to go to find Kitty. When Kitty was dead, going to find, and he ended up going on that boat that had her and ended up grabbing the one guy's arm and pretty much freezing and ripping it off. Well, that guy's there. And these guys are just mutants themselves. They, even at the point where Ahamas Rendai is like, hey, are the guys ready? Cade says, the guys ready? Like, they ain't guys anymore. I mean, these things are monstrosities. And they end up showing up at the bar. You have that one whose arm looks like a Groot type gun. Uh, ends up shooting at them. Bishop dives away. Bobby gets hit. It doesn't kill him, but you end up, the guy even says to Bobby, don't you remember me? I was the one that you froze and ripped off my arm. And then you even see the others. There's people that you end up having Wolverine maim. You end up having Gorgon rip off arms at the deal when they had that meeting, if you remember back in the day there. And so a lot of these were repurposed. They were put back together. They were turning them monstrosities, but they wanted to do this. And they're there for revenge. All of these guys have at one point gotten there because originally mutants had hurt them. So you end up having all this going on. Bishop ends up getting shot. It's like, thanks, suckers. You just ended up, you know, pretty much charging me up. And then, boom, gets a big explosion. They go out of this bar. And realized that this was a setup. This is all to get on the news that there are riots in the streets because the mutants are in there, you know, raising hell, trying to kill people, all of this to make them look bad. Because then you end up off in the in New York City at the UN, pretty much the, you know, hominis verendi making this so that Marjorie can go to the UN and saying mutants should not be allowed. On Marjapur, they have to get out of there They are there causing problems We're trying to raise up the city We're trying to make it better And they are there just to destroy it And we don't want any parts of that So the UN seemingly is going to say No mutants allowed anymore in Marjapur Even with that, you end up like Hey, uh, if Krakoa Oh, Krakoa doesn't have anybody here in the UN And you do see the empty seat Oh, what a shame. I guess they really don't care about it. But yeah, all of this going on. Then it gets worse because then Hominus Rendai is going to pretty much cleanse Lowtown now. Lowtown, the people in it, I guess they were guilty of just, you know, maybe liking a hospital, liking things that were nice because you end up having Hominus Rendai say, okay, you Reavers, you go off and kill everybody in Lowtown. Just cleanse it. The people who are smart enough. They'll get out. But, you know, if there's some stragglers, if there's people that don't want to leave, yeah, have some fun. Go and destroy them. And we'll see where that leads because that is the cliffhanger. So we'll see. Now, with that, you end up having them go off. You still have mutants there. So we'll see what's going on. Uh, and maybe there's some twists and turns. But, yeah, it looks like, you know, Marjapura will be off limits to mutants. And, I I like the issue enough. There's some fun things in here. And fun, I say. It's pretty horrific, some of the stuff. But it's it's cool. And the thing, though, is that this book doesn't really seem to have much of anything else going on. I mean, 
this kind of came out of nowhere with the hospital and buying up Lowtown. And so hopefully, because it says this story will be concluded next issue, hopefully after that, we can kind of refocus some things and get back to something, get back to the marauders going around trying to free mutants and, and all that sort of thing. Because the stuff with Hominus Rendai, it's okay, but it just seems to be a detour that I'm not really digging as much. So with that, I'm going to give this a 7 out of 10. I really like the art. It's just kind of, you know, just a story there. And we're going to go off to the final book, which again, that, and it's Cable. And and it just, Cable feels like a book that should be a backup, maybe a backup to X-Force. And it just doesn't feel like a big enough book at points. But the stuff with Strife that we saw at the end of the last issue, that definitely ups the ante. So I was looking forward to it. But it still is like it's missing that something that makes it big. And we'll get into that now. And this is Cable Number 8, written by Jerry Dugan, art by Phil Noto, letters by VC's Joe Sabino. Let fate decide. Cable was out of Leeds in his pursuit of the Order of X. He took down the cult, but in doing so, discovered that they'd been co-opted by Strife, the enemy, and clone of his older self. Now, he's on the hunt for the truth about Strife, and with no clue where to go next, he's teamed up with an old friend. Now, you end up having Domino wanting to go eat in Tokyo. They end up going to a restaurant, and before that, Domino's trying to explain her powers a bit. Is it luck? Is it fate? All that sort of thing. Now, the problem I have with this book, and especially since the last issue, if you remember, you had Cable running out of leads with the Order of X and the baby nappers, all of that, working with the Philadelphia police officers, but ended up having to get Rachel to find everything out to get to the mansion of the Order of X. He, he never ends up being able to do anything on his own because here he goes off like, hey, Domino, will you help me? Domino kind of goes the whole deal of, well, you know, I, I kind of knew you when you were older. You know, it's a little uncomfortable. You have that back and forth a bit in this. But they go to Tokyo first and then seemingly rely on the luck of Domino to end up in a restaurant where the next clue for Cable just happens to pop up. And it's a guy who looks exactly like the guy, the head of the Order of X, who died. And he's like, you know, that's that same guy. How did you get here, you baby napper? This guy freaks out. He's on a little walkie-talkie, like a, a Britney Spears headset. Oh, my God, the boy's here, code red. And he takes off, and Cable runs after, and Domino says, I'm going to finish eating. But again, Cable isn't doing anything to get to the places he's going. But you have them going. I know that a lot of people do enjoy Phil Noto's art. I am not one of them. I don't like the lack of backgrounds. And even with the backgrounds that you do get, look like little play sets. They don't look real. His facial stuff and the close-up, they look great. But everything else just doesn't look real. And you end up having Cable chase after this guy. They go through a dressing room because this restaurant they have is like a Space Night-themed restaurant. Galadors, and you even have at one point in one of the scenes, you have one of the people dressed up as a space knight playing the guitar, which is probably the coolest thing ever. Um, but when you have this guy run through this dressing room, cables chasing after him, he's shooting after him, it, it goes by too quick, and you don't get any sense of that 
cinematic scene that's trying to be told here because there are no backgrounds, because everything is so close up at points to show the facial features and stuff like that as this guy runs out of this dressing room down some stairs and over into a sealed room ends up going in there is a keypad there's an eye scanner he gets in close the door it seals and so you end up having kid cable go up and it's like oh man i thought i was gonna get in he starts shooting the door at one point then goes and it's like damn it i can't even and then just Puts his eye up to the eye scanner, open the door, and it says identity confirmed, lock disengaged, door opening. And he goes in, and you're kind of like, what, what just happened? And it's not just what happened, it's just the idea of well, where did he come up with that? Now, with that, he seemingly has figured out that this guy he was chasing was a clone of himself. But the cleverness of that is kind of lost in the shuffle because of how quickly this scene goes and how it's not set up. And so when you do find out and Cable just walks in and there's the guy there, he's at a pedestal, lit pedestal type deal. And behind him are a bunch of pods all along the wall behind him. And he says, you're an effing clone and I'm going to take you down and I'm going to do this. I'm going to shoot you right between the eyes. And you end up having this guy end up saying, yeah, whatever, you know, you're not going to be able to stop us. You're not going to be able to stop strike because what he's going to do is worse and you could do whatever. Pow, right between the eyes. He, this guy gets shot. He's dead. As he's dying, though, he presses a button and all these pods behind him open up as he is definitely dead and out jump 12 kid cables, all clones, all clones from Strife. And they're just let's get him and take him alive. They end up just fighting. So you have a, a cool scene again where you have Kid Cable fighting all these Kid Cable clones. And what then ends up happening is Domino comes walking in, still eating her buns. Like, oh my, what's going on here? I guess I got to get to work. Throws down her food, gets out her gun, and just starts shooting everybody in the room. And they're all going down, they're falling until there's one. Kid Cable left And he says incredible So you let Luck take the wheel And you emptied your clip And she says no I have one round Left and shoots this cable right Between the eyes and then says On your feet soldier as she grabs A Kid Cable off the ground who is The real Kid Cable and says Oh man your older self used to Yell that to me all the time so this is pretty Cool he gets up and he's like You're out of bullets right and then you end up having her say, that a boy, that's the cable I know who actually paid attention. That seemingly is why she was able to pick the one, because he should have known all that stuff going down. And that's the thing. One of them got away. One of the clones got away. She's counting things. She's doing this. I had that. I had to take that down. There's one that got away. Let's go get him, this clone. And you end up having cable. Saying, okay, if I can get him, we can kind of figure out things. We can go in his brain. We can figure it out. So let's go. So they chase him down. They get to an alley. And this clone turns around. And they say, drop the gun, you stinking clone. And the thing is, this alleyway is filled with water. All these puddles. You've seen as the domino and cable running through. They're splashing through the puddles. He throws the gun into one of the puddles. As he throws it down, it electrifies. And then takes down both domino and kid cable. They're getting electrified. You have Domino, who seems like she's almost pretty out of it. Kid Cable's able to fight back, and him and his clone here are trash-talking. And basically, the clone 
Cable says, I am going to kill you, right? Then I'm going to grab all of these dead Strife clones. I'm going to take those back to Krakoa, along, unfortunately, with the dead body of Domino as well. And I'm going to say to everyone, look at me. I'm Kid Cable. I found these. This is part of the plan. It's going to be great. And then I'm going to just destroy everything. Now, with that, you end up having an ending here. <laughs> I mean, it, it's it's Domino. But boy, the idea that they are going to be killed, both Kid Cable and Domino. Now, when they get back, if th- this did happen, they get back to Krakoa, obviously they will resurrect Domino, but she's not going to remember this because she's going to go back to her last reset. Whatever he does with Kid Cable, the body, like, you know, that might be interesting, but we're going to go Domino way here in such an extreme deal where you have this clone Kid Cable just laughing it up and then looks up in the sky and it's like, oh, what's that? And then gets hit by a meteorite. He even says, is, is that Sunfire? No, it's, oh my. And the thing takes off his head and then blows him up. And pretty much he's there with just feet. And so he's there and like, oh my God, did a meteorite just kill him? And then she's like, yeah, what are the odds, right? Been a pleasure, but lose my number for a few years, kid. Sayonara and leaves. I'm like, really? <laughs> you set this up that, they just happened to go into the the place to eat in, in Tokyo, and one of the clones is there. They chase him down. And not only that, but that's the, the restaurant is the front somehow to this lab. Never really explained that way or across the street, whatever it might be. But it's right there. Then you end up having them just about to die, and a meteorite takes his head off. I mean, I understand, you know, the powers at play here, but boy, that is extreme. Uh, so you end up with that, and... You have Domino even call, uh, you know, to Beast. Hey, Beast, we, we need some cleanup in aisle six. And what I mean is there's a Tokyo restaurant that has just things all over an alleyway. You got to come and you end up having Beast. Well, I guess we'll end up sending X Factor. And again, it this issue, it, it just doesn't feel big or, impl- yeah, strikes involved. That should be huge. You end up where you almost have a strife clone go off to get to crack, but doesn't. But a meteorite and the whole thing, it really feels like it should be a backup. I, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm the only one. We do end up seeing a other time and other place deal by the end to kind of go with how all this stuff came to be and stuff too. But overall, I'm still, I still enjoy, like it's weird. I still don't mind when I'm reading it. But then afterwards, I just always sit there. I'm like, that only felt like half an issue. Maybe it's because it goes too quick, but it never feels like a full, you know, meat and cheese issue. At the end, it feels like a backup. But even with that, I'm going to give it a 6.8. Again, if you like Phil Noto's art, I bet you you could go up at least a point. Uh, I just don't enjoy it that much. It's not my cup of tea, but everybody has their own cup of tea. I mean, if we all drank each other's cup of tea we we'd probably all get mono or something right or there wouldn't be enough to go around it's a lot of people and one cup of tea you can't do that but yeah eh, i'm gonna go up to 6.9 dude i'll be a little more positive a little bit more but but yeah overall these books this week that i'm talking about we're almost caught up next week we will have me and Ruben doing sword, and then I should be talking about the new book. So finally, we're going to be caught up with at least the ones we're talking about. And this week, though, 
you know, Marauders, Excalibur, and Cable, while the scores you heard were not through the roof or anything, but again, I'm trying to be honest for myself, I didn't mind them. And a lot of it is setting up stuff that seems very interesting. So hopefully this is kind of the road to something really good in all three of these books. And then we'll see what happens with the ones next week as well, including Sword with Ruben. So thanks, everybody. Thanks for listening. Thanks for you know, downloading, continuing to download. Uh, it makes me happy that this actually ends up being one of the more popular things that I end up doing, much to my surprise. Because I am still learning as we go, but maybe that's what we're all doing together. Uh, remember, go over to the whole Twitter at WS Marvel Comics. Follow us, we'll follow you back. Also, go to our website, weirdsciencemarvelcomics.com, and then you could check out our Patreon with a bunch of other shows that you can dive into. One of the things I'm going to be doing is, uh, I believe, X Men number four, original OG. Uh, with uh, Scarlet Witch I'm going to be doing that tomorrow But if you end up checking out The Patreon a lot of shows Like I said So check that out Also, just as an aside here uh, We ended up doing Me and my man Luke Hollywood We ended up doing a manga show And this was a show we just started doing on the Patreon Just for kicks And just threw it out there But we have such a good time doing it And the couple people on the Patreon who listen You know have told us, oh, man, we really like it. So I ended up with the whole deal, starting from way back, going and putting episodes up on its own feed, the Weird Science Manga Podcast. So if you want to check that out, that'd be cool, too, if manga is something that you might be interested in. And if you're not, if you end up saying, well, I don't really know about it, it's still for you because I don't know much about it either. Luke is the expert. I just kind of show up and have fun and try to figure out what it's all about. So it's something that you might want to check out as well. I'll probably put it in the show notes, a little link to it, so you can check that out. But thanks, everybody, and I'll talk to you later.